now rocking with One Nation Radio. Welcome to the program. James Boyd, Richard Ladder, and a couple friends with the show for your wrestling needs. Shopping out the rest of the IWC. We gon' tell her how it is. We gon' shoot from the hip. If they putting out trash, we gon' rip from the bits. Make sure that you tweet us and you rate the shows. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Now let's get it on the road. Hey. One Nation Sports. One Nation Sports. Welcome to One Nation Radio. And now, here are your hosts, Rich Latta and James Boyd. And thank you for listening. SocialSuperflex.com. BWB, what's up? Welcome to One Nation Radio, a special edition that is uh, very special because I'm joined by the author of the WrestleMania era book, and it, it's being released in this third edition, Chad Matthews. Chad, what's going on, man? Not a whole lot, Rich. I appreciate you having me on your show. It's uh, you're one of the favorite guests I have on mine. It's nice to to uh, to turn the tables. Excellent, excellent, man. Um, it's uh, it's good to have you back. The last time we were we had you on, I believe you were gearing up to release your second book, or was it the first? I think it was the second. I oh. think the uh, our paths first crossed after I'd already written the first edition. Gotcha. So, uh, yeah. Yep. So um, we basically uh, Chad is one of Lords of Pain uh, long-term running, one of the most popular columnists, one of the best columnists on the internet, as far as anything that has to do with critical thinking when it comes to wrestling, ranking guys, and figuring out what it, we're watching currently and how it translates to history. Um, Chad has authored two versions of the WrestleMania era where he's already ranked um, the 90 greatest stars of the WrestleMania era. And this one is the third release. And as you can imagine, things change from book to book. And with this, uh, I was actually fortunate, along with James, what's up, James, to help contribute a little bit to this book. Um, and I just got some questions I just want to ask you about the book, Chad. Sure. Cool. So, like, uh, we actually, I got a couple of them from uh, Hitesh. What's going on, Hitesh? I'm sure you uh, talked to Chad several times. <laughs> um, so he has uh, basically a couple of questions. I'm going to blend them in with mine. So I guess we can start with um, if you had to rank your five favorite chapters, or even three, or you know, a couple that come to your head. What were the favorite ones um, that you had to write? Well, I'd say to start, um, probably if I can group them together a little bit, some of those guys, like your Tito Santanas, mm. um, Iron Sheik, uh, the fabulous Freebirds from earlier editions, um, some of those guys that a lot of the younger fans really wouldn't be familiar with, and that even myself, I mean, I'm in my 30s, but I, I remember those guys growing up. But going back and revisiting some of their work and trying to put it in more of a modern context and pull from it, mm -hmm. statistically, you know, the book ranks all of these wrestlers based on a criteria that I am very specific about. Right. But then going back and writing the chapters for especially guys like that for me was basically about celebrating why they made the list 
and what they were all about and inspiring hopefully some people that were less familiar with their work to go back and take a closer look. So that was, if I can group some of those guys together, Greg Valentine is mm-hmm. another one, the Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express, some of the acts that were popular mostly in the 80s. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun, and it, it's now fun to even go back and revisit some of the matches and some of the promos and segments that really shaped my the what I wrote. So that was certainly one of them. Another guy who I loved writing was was Diamond Dallas Page. One I of my favorites. Not a, I honestly was not one of those big time switch back and forth types of fans mm-hmm. back in the day. When I watched the Monday Night Wars, I was primarily either one or the other. There was a short time when I watched WCW, and then I switched back to WWF, and I stayed with them throughout the whole Attitude Era. Um, So Diamond Dallas Page was a guy who I really had no exposure to. When you look at his his statistics, he's got a lot of world championships. He's got a lot of WCW headlining matches. He's got a lot that he brought to the table especially at the height of WCW's popularity. So you go back and you watch someone like that and and see how good of a worker he became from where he started. Just one of those true, really great examples of someone who just wanted to do that so badly that uh, nothing was going to stop him. So you go back and you watch, if you actually read that chapter, and you go back and you watch some of what Diamond Dallas Page brought to the table. I think you'll be really impressed, and I'm as analytical as they come when it comes to wrestling fans and breaking down what makes guys and gals great in the ring. And that was one of those guys I was blown away by. I watched his matches with Goldberg and with Jeff Jarrett and with Booker T and all these guys that were really popular toward the back end of WCW's popularity, and he was amazing. So... Uh, Diamond Dallas Page would be another one. Um, God, there's so many, it's hard to really narrow it right, down like right. that. I will say, for the third edition, one of my favorite ones to write was about Roman Reigns. Mm. Um, Roman Reigns is such a polarizing figure in today's wrestling world, and I have been one of his biggest defenders in some areas and one of his biggest critics in others, but um, anytime you have a chance to do some long-form writing, because I tend to be more you know, a thousand to fifteen hundred words in, in the columns that I write. I am very cognizant of modern attention spans, but I had the opportunity in this third edition of the book to sit down and really go long form mm-hmm. on Roman Reigns. And it was a lot of fun to break down where he is, why he's there, why he should be there, and why people need to get off his back because he's actually pretty darn good. So, right. um, that was another favorite, and if I had to add one more, I loved writing The Rock's chapter. Um, you know, I won't do any spoilers for anyone who's not read the book, <laughs> but um, he's ranked very highly, and I enjoyed telling people why. I really did, and I loved writing Austin and Hogan's chapters for similar reasons, because I think where those guys are ranked are is going to surprise some people. Uh, I, so, to me... Part of the fun of writing the book was putting together where everyone was going to go. I mean, statistically, that's the thing. I mean, it's not like I went into it blindly just with my own opinion and said, this guy's going to be number one. I sat down with a specific criteria, refined it, crunched the numbers, and and let that be that. And 
some of the rankings ended up being a little surprising because of it, but sitting down and then digesting, okay, this is where these guys rank. So how am I going to get that across for people that are going to expect them to be ranked in other places and also not wanting to lose the credibility of the book. I mean, and lose the credibility that, um, you know, a book of this magnitude and what it, it, it tries to achieve in categorically and definitively saying these are the top 10, 25, 45, and ultimately 90 greatest of all time. Um, you get down to the bottom of that list with one through five, et cetera. And it, it gets, it, it, you know, you want to be able to, you want to give people, you know, not just what they expect, but you know, you want to give them really what the results are all about from the rankings and let that be that. And I had to write it and it was fun to write it from the perspective, not just of how awesome these guys are, but what the numbers say in terms of where they should be ranked. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, to follow up some of that, uh, you mentioned, you talked about the criteria and, um, I think one of the best metrics that you have, um, in the book is the Bret Hart wrestler score. And that covers, it's a three, uh, if you guys have never heard of it, it's like a three number scale between a wrestler's look, their mic work and their in-ring ability. Is that correct on that one? That is correct. I believe so. I blatantly ripped it off from Bret Hart book yep <laughs> um and then some of those like it, the, with the criteria talk a little bit about the criteria that you base this on because i i feel like um someone may just see hey hey the top 90 wrestlers of the wrestlemania era and they may not know exactly what you mean well let's uh let's start with the obvious when people say greatest i think they often mean best Mm-hmm. And best and greatest are not the same thing. Because if you say best to me, I hear best performer. Yeah. And there are only a few guys who really belong at the top of that discussion. You're Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair's of the world, those types. But are they the greatest definitively? Well, I think if you then took a step back and said, okay, well, did they carry the companies that they were involved in to huge financial heights? And if the answer is no... Well, who did carry their companies to the highest of financial heights? And that's where you start talking about the Hogans and the Austins and the Rocks of the world. And, and those are two different lists. One is about performance. The other is about drawing money. And to be honest, both of them should obviously be taken into account when you're trying to come up with the definitive list. And then I think you need to give credit for, um, for, for longevity. You have to take into account that a guy like Austin was really only on top for about four years, whereas someone like Undertaker's been on top for 26 years. So that matters. That has to matter. That has to be taken into account. We're talking about five years, four or five years versus 25 years. Right. Um, Hulk Hogan has that longevity. The Rock does not. Stone Cold does not. Ric Flair does. So how does that factor in? I think all three of those categories surely have to be a part of the discussion. And then I think you need to take into account that, you know, how someone carries themselves as a champion in WWE or WCW history, because those are the two companies they're taking into account. That matters as well. And there are some guys who have really done exceptionally well 
in, in winning championships and holding championships for a length of time. There again, that creates its own wrinkle because some guys like Edge won a lot of titles but never held them very long, whereas someone like Hulk Hogan didn't win quite as many championships. Um, well, I mean, similar number when you add up WCW and WWE together, right. but the, the number of days he held those titles was staggering as compared to somebody like Edge. Triple H, John Cena, they both, for modern times, held the title for a very long time. And the Whereas fact there were like two, Edge, and the fact there were two world champions to, championships to win, I think, can't be understated enough. Indeed, and and so these discussions have to be had as well as when you talk about greatest of all time. Oftentimes, champions come into account are taken into account. You've got that age old discussion about um, the greatest never to win a world championship, for instance. Well, what does that mean? How does that factor in to a a thorough discussion? of how to rank the all-time greatest. And then you mentioned the Bret Hart wrestler score. To me, that's the final category. And that takes into account the fact that somebody like Ravishing Rick Rude, he never won a world title. He never had the opportunity to consistently headline and main event pay-per-views on WCW or WWE cards. With any, I mean, never had any kind of consistency. He did it. Um, But there were things that he was great at that those other statistics really don't accurately reflect. I mean, this was a great worker, especially of the WWE style. He was a great worker, and he had a great, great look. And the guy, for what his character was asked to do, could talk his butt off. So Rick Rude, not surprisingly, had one of the best wrestler scores. But he didn't have the titles. He didn't have the headlining matches. Didn't really have the longevity on top, so to speak. You know, he was not someone that was looked at as a huge financial draw. And because of the WWF style back during his heyday, he never really got the opportunity to have the great, great performances. So Rick Rude is someone who he doesn't rank exceptionally high in the book. But the Bret Hart wrestler score at least helps even the playing field for him a little bit because... While he doesn't have those other four statistics to back up his career, there's no question he had a great career and that he was great. So um, I would look at it, quite frankly, I've seen what the WWE list was put together back in about 2011. That was partly what inspired me to write the book. And then I saw another list that was the greatest 50 of all time, including going all the way back to the Hackenschmidt days. And to me... Was that by Larry Matijic? It, it was. Yeah, I, I own that, that book. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that book. I really do. I respect uh, his opinion. But both of those books both seem to just kind of throw darts at the wall at the top names and see. And, and, and there didn't seem to be any rubric. There was no statistical, you know, way of going about placing those wrestlers where they were. WWE's list was just ridiculous. It ranked Hulk Hogan twenty third. Yes, which was just yeah. Asinine. And that, I mean, that was so political. And it's, and, and even though Shawn Michaels is my favorite wrestler of all time, uh, I believe he was ranked number one on their list. And I think he is the best performer of all time. But he doesn't match up with some of the other guys overall with those other statistics, no more than some of those other guys match up with him on performance. So none of those books, none of those lists were ever well rounded enough for my mind. And I felt like. There needed to be a book that flat out said, 
these are all the pieces of the discussion and these are who definitively because of the based on that rubric this is who ranks where and why and, mm-hmm. and that is exactly what I went out and wrote alright um, now uh, women, female performers uh, in, in the book um, in this edition if I I, I kind of looked it over I don't think there's a female performer present but previously there was Trish was in the book um, last time she was I'm not sure if it was 85 or it was, couldn't remember her number, but she was in the book, but she was bumped for this issue. When do you think um, we might see the next woman make the top 90 and who might she be? Well, I, I think she, in the third edition I mentioned, though, I, she's mentioned, mm-hmm. um, but it's mentioned why she was removed. Yeah. And the main reason why she was removed, and she might be the first one to get back in, to be honest, but... This uh, the women's revolution going on in WWE right now with Sasha Banks, Charlotte, etc. Really redefining how we think of women's wrestling has changed my perspective historically on where Trish Stratus should be. Trish Stratus to me for the longest time was the be all end all of female wrestlers. But then Charlotte and Sasha and others have come along in recent years since that second edition came out and they have basically just blown out of the water anything that trish ever did from a performance standpoint some of that is opportunity um but you know the bottom line is is that those girls have done things that trish never did and because of that my stance on trish's place in overall wwe slash wcw wrestlemania era if you will lore is is up in the air and so i no longer felt comfortable keeping her on the list when that was a huge question kind of running around in my mind is i really don't know anymore i mean who you know who who would get back on that list i mean certainly uh charlotte seems like a a really viable candidate to me sasha banks does as well but she's had a lot of injury problems since she came to the main roster and there's now some questions coming about as to her potential durability, whereas I think uh, Charlotte's elite athleticism may allow her longevity on top. So, uh, you know, you could see Trish get back in and someone else come in with her Mm -hmm. as a better representative of the women's revolution, which is a huge part of what we're seeing on on WWE today. So um, it's a good question. I don't think it has a definitive answer yet. Right, right. Um, now, one guy I hope you never bump from the list, and he's the first guy in the book. I don't know if you mind me spoiling this, but uh, he's far, oh, far, fine. yes, uh, and it is Raven. Um, now, Raven, I hope you never bump him. I thought he had such a unique character. He um, he was a man of truly of his of his time. I don't know exactly how Raven would go over today. Um, talk about uh, how why, why did we start the list with Raven? Was it was that intentional or was it uh, just just a good place to just roll the ball out? Well, statistically, of the uh, you know from an objective standpoint, um, he was the lowest ranked of that bottom thirty mm-hmm. and and remains there. Where the subject and I you know I've come up with this kind of term to describe the way that this whole thing came came together is 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 objective subjectivism. Mm-hmm which essentially means that 
Um, it's subjective in the sense that, you know, I chose the people that I thought should be statistically ranked. And then the objective part is then just letting the statistics figure out who goes where. And then there's some other wrinkles that we may get to. But with Raven, um, you know, you look at the, the highest height United States champion in WCW, never really reached that headlining stature, um, but was so influential. And that was one thing that I, you never, I, I don't know, I, I honestly can't anticipate him ever being removed from the list because Raven was such an influential figure mm-hmm. in the 1990s. What ECW became and the cult iconic status that it has earned. Raven was a huge part in establishing that. Raven then brought some of that to WCW and for most of, you know, 97, 98, there there were few acts in the game that were garnering the kind of buzz that Raven did. Um, you know, none of that translated to WWE. Anybody who cons- who mostly saw what he did in WWE would look at that and go, "What? Raven?" But read that chapter and you will find out what made Raven special. So to me, Raven's influence is as an, for an intangible factor makes it difficult for me to imagine bumping him off the list. I, I would almost venture to say that subjectivity would find me identifying someone in the back end of the late 80s in the ranking and pegging them as one of the people to remove, as has been the case thus far. Right. You know, three editions, Ravens sitting comfortably at number 90 and not anticipating going anywhere. Right. Now, because I, 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 I asked that because I'm one of the guys that have read the, a list like the PWI 500 over the years. And, you know, every year we can kind of predict who's going to be on top. But, you know, I like to dig a little deeper as far as, like, who's the 175th guy? Like, <laughs> just, just you know, weirdly like that and see if he has, like, potential to go up or down, different stuff like that. But um, in researching the book, um, the first time you wrote this book, there was no WWE Network available, but there was YouTube, there was, uh, you know, torrent size, and you can pretty much find wrestling everywhere. But was it easier with the help of the network, like, going through uh, this time? Well, to be quite honest with you, the network, uh, most of the research for the obscure things uh, was already done. I mean, at this point, the list is getting updated as wrestling, as cyclical as it is and how fast it moves nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, most of it is just looking at, at modern guys and trying to compare some of their work to, to, from, to, to guys whose body of work was completed long ago. So I haven't had to do a lot of back, uh, a lot of backtrack research. So for someone like Raven and the Rock and Roll Express and all these guys, mm-hmm. every bit of that research was done right before the WWE the old country way and it was just a lot of YouTube and searching and low quality videos and trying to um, you know trying to watch like the sheep herders versus the fantastics and matches like that from the old NWA uh, which most of which by the way is still not on the network like the old Crockett Cups watching the Midnight Express against the Road Warriors from the Crockett Cup and uh, you know there's not a whole lot of that on the WWE Network still. The Magnum TA versus Nikita Koloff, best of seven. I keep waiting for them to add to that to the network. And I mean, I've watched that a half a dozen times, a half a dozen different ways, trying to find the best quality video to watch. And it's just, uh, 
it's just not out there, man. I mean, I've done, <laughs> I did a lot of Netflix. I did a lot of YouTube. Yep. A lot of daily motion, just trying to find whatever I could. Right, right. Um, so, uh, you earlier you mentioned um, the difference between writing uh, your columns and then writing the book. What what was particularly yeah, particularly different about writing the book as you know compared to a mega column? Oh man, well I think probably the longest column series I ever wrote was uh, in totality. You know, like a big list column that that I che- that it gets updated like once a week or twice a week was probably around fifty thousand words in total. Mm-hmm. And the WrestleMania era, the first draft was two hundred and ten thousand words in total. <laughs> uh, so it was over. It was. I mean, it's a five hundred and ninety plus page book. Um, so it's an epic book. I mean, there's a lot to get through. I think you'll find that it moves pretty quickly. But in the beginning, it the first draft was over 850 pages. So Man. long form is not something I had traditionally done much with. I actually, when I started writing columns, it was always sort of my intention to be uh, the the more to to really cater with a, a more short form style mm-hmm. because so many of my peers at that time seemed to be just going on and on, and it was like. 3,000 words, and right now, uh, if, if my if my research is still correct, then uh, I think the average person reads, like, uh, no more than, than, like, 150 to 200 words a minute. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you talk about <laughs> 210,000 words, that's going to... That's going to take a while. I'm telling you, Kindle, to, uh, Kindles are amazing. Like, you can just kind of skip around and, you know, do different things like that. I and mean, I asked you that uh, question about writing the book because, you know, I've, you know, long thought of writing a wrestling book and kicking around concepts and all that. But um, who was the most difficult competitor to rank? Oh, man. It's like, I just don't feel right about having this guy here, but he's definitely at least here, but it's like, er, you, you like backlash or anything like that? Mm, uh, would definitely. Stone Cold Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan would tie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you go into a book like this, and you know that everyone is going to be expecting, at the top of the list, one of three names. And if one of those three names isn't at the top of the list, and if some of those names actually fall a bit further down the list than anyone would ever expect, based on the statistical you know, analysis performed, which I think, to be quite frank, I mean, I think that statistical analysis is very fair and is very thorough. That said, you know... Uh, without giving too much away, I mean, Hogan and Austin, that, that was tough. I mean, I went back. Their rankings initially were what made me go back and reevaluate and reevaluate again and reevaluate again the ranking system itself. It's like, that, okay, that can't be right. <laughs> I, that, that, that can't be right. And then I'd go back and I would crunch it again. And I, I mean, I, I basically did not say. I mean, I, I look at it pretty, pretty much across the board, Rich, as, you know, as the book does a pretty good job of describing, I think it's like, okay, yes, the whole purpose of a wrestling show or of a wrestler and his character is to put butts in the seats 
and to get people to watch on TV, pay-per-view, now the network. But isn't it just as important that once those butts are in those seats and those eyes are locked on the viewing device, that the show provided is worthy of repeat viewing? Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a restaurant, sure, you advertise to get people to go there, but you hope that the food is good enough that people will want to come back and then tell other people about it. So the performance to me and the drawing power, for instance, you put those two elements together, which one's more important? I would say that they're equally important. Right. So it's, um, I mean, to me, that's a fascinating part of the conversation because when you look at all of the things put together, you expect it to go a certain way, and then when you have two guys you're expecting to be higher ranked who just end up not being higher ranked, uh, or as highly ranked as you think, then that certainly, I mean, that made it tough because it made, instead of just celebrating certain guys, you're also having to justify why they're ranked where they are. Mm. And, uh, and, and that can get pretty difficult, both on the end of people that are higher ranked than you think they would be and the ones who are lower ranked than you think they would be. Right. Let's go to a question from Hitesh. Uh, what's going on, Hitesh? Uh, who out of Nakamura, Reigns, Rollins, Rusev, who's yet to be in the book, uh, as well as Nakamura, Bray Wyatt, Dean Ambrose, Finn Balor, and Kevin Owens, does he think will end up the highest in your rankings when their careers are all over? I think it's going to really come down to Rollins and Reigns. Which two? Uh, which of the two? If I had to venture a guess right this second, I would say Seth Rollins. Um, I think, um, well, you know, and if I thought about that for another five seconds, I might change my mind. So I really, I have a hard <laughs> time separating which one of those two is going to be the highest on the list, but I do think it's going to be one of those two guys. And uh, at this point, I don't think it's going to be close among the names mentioned. The only other one I think has a real shot of reaching that kind of position is Ambrose. I think that the shield guys have pretty well separated themselves from everyone else and were the inspiration why I felt for why I felt the third edition needed to be written is because of what they've respectively accomplished in the last two years since the uh the since the statistical uh cutoff date for the second edition of the book so um to me one of those two guys i couldn't tell you which one definitively not right now all right um daniel bryan uh i particularly enjoyed his chapter in the book uh, how far do you think he could have gone had you know health permitting i think it had he been able to complete the year in 2014 that he was heading toward if he had been able to hang on through one more WrestleMania cycle at the level that he had achieved in 2014, I think he easily would have been pushing guys like Ricky Steamboat, Eddie Guerrero, Ultimate Warrior, etc. for that top 25 kind of ranking. Mm -hmm. And he didn't make the top 30. I really, I, I felt uh, the longevity part about being on top really hurt him, statistically. Um, so he was right there on the, on you know, on the outside looking in on that discussion. He just needed a little bit more. He needed another headlining match or two. Another couple of standout performances would have aided his cause. Um, if you're talking about 
if he'd had the kind of run that I think a lot of us were hoping for. Like I personally, I felt like Daniel Bryan was going to be our Shawn Michaels type for the next few years, where every WrestleMania or SummerSlam cycle that came about, he was going to be in the match everybody most wanted to see. Whether it was the main event or not, he was going to step into those shoes mm-hmm. that to date really no one's filled since HBK left. I mean, every year it seems like someone's most anticipated match is a different one. Whereas back in the day, HBK every year was like, oh my God, what's Shawn Michaels going to do? I thought Daniel Bryan could have filled those shoes, and had he done that, then there's no telling. I think, you know, he could have gone on to have, um, you know, a top 20 level career and been pushing guys like, uh, you know, like your your Dave Batistas and Chris Jericho's. It just really ma- it was really going to boil down to how long he could do it. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, if you add five years of Daniel Bryan in a peak kind of position, a top five level, then I think easily he could have been pushing for that top 20 kind of level. Because um, a lot of those guys on the back end really never had the complete picture for very long. And you can see that statistically, the guys who had more opportunities and, and, and really delivered more consistently at that high level um, were the ones that ranked higher. Excellent. Um, Another question from Hitesh. Uh, He said, for The Rock to be in a high position over a lot of guys who are huge stars and had over triple or double uh, the length of his career, is is it a case of quality over quantity? And if so, what is it about the quality of his career which is better than the others? without spoiling as much as that as you could. <laughs> That's a great question. Well, the the whole thing about The Rock, The Rock was the complete package. There were only a few guys who really were. If you go back and you look at those five categories that I mentioned earlier, longevity, championships, performance, the wrestler score and drawing power, you know, there's not many guys that can compete with The Rock when you total all five of those up together. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing about The Rock is, is The Rock is in that special class of the guys who really did have it all. And who, and, and uh, you know, you look at where The Rock would be had he not come back. And I know he was a part-time star who only wrestled a small handful of matches, but you know, he answered a lot of questions about his overall career when he came back. You know, I, I've gone on record and I'll state it again. Those That one match he had with John Cena was every bit as epic as it was billed to be. I never cared about the fact that they had another match that never ruined what they did at WrestleMania 28 to me. Mm-hmm. And if you go back and you listen to them talk about it, both him and John Cena, I don't think they give a crap that people started talking about stuff like twice in a lifetime. You know, some of the old school members of the wrestling fraternity, like the author of the 50 greatest wrestlers of all time, uh, you know, he, he heaped tons of praise on that match. So I think The Rock came back and answered most of the questions about his legacy that were remaining from his lengthy hiatus. And because of that, combined with the body of work he was able to put together, and the fact that, you know, nobody, and I, and I mean when this when I say nobody, and do not mistake me, nobody during the Attitude Era was more consistent at the top than The Rock. All right. 
they um remember that. I I think they kind of. <laughs> I I always like to throw in a little thing of how bad WWE treated The Rock during his prime. Like he um <laughs> he lost the main event of WrestleMania three times in a row in his prime, <laughs> which is which is insane. And you know, but they more than made it up to, uh, to him. Uh, with the Hogan victory, the Cena victory, and the the eventual Austin Austin victory. Um. So, uh, what has to happen for number three or two to jump your number one guy? Well, let's go ahead and talk about that outright, so people can uh, be more familiar with it. John Cena is absolutely in the top five of all time. Yeah, and. One of the things, of course, I want to take a step back and address this, and you might bring this up in a minute, but I think this is an important thing to bring up with people. One of the things that writing three editions of this book has brought to light is that there are, unquestionably, and this should have been obvious from the beginning, but that's, it's an ever, there's different layers to this discussion that are becoming more intriguing and apparent, and that's statistical advantage in yep. the modern era. Yeah. Um, more pay-per-views, more opportunities, less competition, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Two brands for a great deal of the last 15 years. Something like that has to be taken into account when you look at a guy like John Cena's resume. But at the same time, you cannot ignore the fact that there are few, there are very, very few in history that are statistically as dominant as John Cena has been over the last um, over the last 11 years, really 10 years, mm-hmm. um, there was a 10-year run where John Cena was just everywhere, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Royal Rumble, all the biggest events, all the biggest shows, having classic matches, headlining over and over again. Some of these WrestleManias, Royal Rumbles and SummerSlams, were huge drawing cards. Um, I don't think John Cena gets enough credit for that. People like to talk about ratings when it comes to gauging his drawing power, but ratings were decreasing for a number of years prior. And and the way that people watch wrestling and consume the product has changed. And so go that all being said, John Cena statistically, and this goes back to the subjective part of this whole thing, John Cena statistically could it could be argued that he's he's number one right now. That's that's the reality. He's that he has that impressive a body of work statistically, and I know there are some fans that are coming around to that idea already. For me, going back to the subjective part of this project, for me it will be very difficult for me to ignore the statistical advantage that he has over some of his peers and give him the number one spot until certain things are. Until certain things happen, or until enough times uh, enough time passes after his career ends, where the body of work is just so statistically dominant that it can no longer be ignored. ignored. You know, if he's sitting there at 20 years and he's still going, I mean, he would be that be. Let's see, it would be 2000, roughly about 2024, Oof. if he was still going at that at that time and having like an Undertaker type run, where he was coming back and having a match every now and again or a Triple H-like run, if you want to use that analogy as well, since Triple H and Undertaker's resumes have been so similar over the last four or five years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, another big thing for me is I really need to see him play the top bad guy 
everyone else tried. Even Austin tried. Austin's run as the top heel is looked at as an unequivocal failure by most. Um, quite frankly, though, at least he tried. I mean, he, he his, his character was getting stale, and he did it. Hulk Hogan did it. The other guys in the top five all played both roles, and John Cena, he, I think he needs to play that role, or at least try it, even if it's for six months and it just doesn't work, and then he goes back to to being the guy he's been forever. I, I, I need to see that. That's one of those subjective things that, for me, since I'm running the show, since in the <laughs> WrestleMania era, the book of sports entertainment, I am Vince McMahon. I'm not pulling the trigger on him being moved up to that last spot until he does that. So, you know, that's the nice thing about the project is that statistics obviously drive it, but there are certain things that I that have veto control power. over. That, that veto power that will allow <laughs> me to say, nope, that's not something I'm going to do. Not happening. Um, not happening. I want to go to a question from uh, Dave Dave Fenichel. Um He wanted me to ask you if you are ready to jump ship on you-know-who. I don't even know what he's talking about, so you have to fill me in. Oh, he's just talking about uh, he's talking about Dolph Ziggler. I figured. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He, uh, he never, he's never understood my appreciation for Dolph Ziggler. And, and Dolph Ziggler, uh, I have, at least for the purpose of this discussion about the book, I've jumped ship already. So, man, uh, I had Dolph Ziggler originally ranked number 85. He was one of those guys who had put together um, a lot on his statistical resume. He had a lot of championships won as of 2000 and late 2013 uh, when the original cutoff time was for the uh, data collection period. Um, Ziggler put together a pretty good body of work before the initial cutoff period in 2013, and that was when he was peaking. But, uh, you know, so any any list, you look at, you know, Bill Simmons' book of basketball, if he was to ever go back and revisit some of the guys that he had included in the back end of his own top 90-ish list of the greatest basketball players ever, I think he would find that hindsight affords you the opportunity to reevaluate certain picks. And, and Dolph Ziggler was one of those guys by the time the data collection period ended to the point when WrestleMania 30 came about and the first edition was released, I mean, it was pretty much all said and done for him. And uh, he never achieved what it seemed like he would. So he made it, it was easy to cut him out and look at him as a guy who had really just benefited from a statistical, uh, basically a statistical variance that gave him an advantage. So number 85 in the book has sort of become through three editions, the, the spot I put people who statistically seem to have a lot going for them, um, but haven't really shown fully that they deserve to be any higher. So it also then becomes a spot where, like, for The Shield was ranked there at, at, at the time that the second edition was released, mm-hmm. and then they just blew up as the three members went their separate ways. They all blew up and just have had outstanding historically very historically relevant careers already and only will climb higher. Yeah. Um, so now the guy that's in that spot is kind of once again, okay, prove you can keep this position. Right. Um, so uh, which stars on the list do you think had a much higher potential when their career started um, as to the position that they they've gained or finished at? 
Hmm. That was also from Hitesh, too. Randy Orton comes to mind. Randy Orton is still ranked very highly. He's put together a very impressive body of work in his career, but I think that when he got started, I would have expected him to be right around where John Cena is. I would have expected he would be a definitive top 10 of the WrestleMania era caliber star. And he just never got there. He still has just never gotten there. His impressive body of work aside, he's never been able to get to a point where I would ever consider removing someone from the top 10 like a Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels or Randy Savage so that Randy Orton could get in. He's just never done enough to me to warrant that, but I expected him to. Uh, That's one of the more obvious top-level examples. Looking at the overall list in general, I think that certainly... Hmm... Let's see. That is a that's a great question. That would be an interesting uh, topic for a podcast discussion at some point at greater length. For sure. Um, let's see. No, I think someone like Sheamus, you know, or a Del Rio would fit that. Sheamus would definitely. He's Sheamus has always been one of the more controversial inclusions in the book but at the time that i wrote it originally looking at where he was at the time that the data collection period was going on on, i mean i was yeah i mean i was yeah absolutely during the time that i was really writing the most and researching the most was basically between 2011 and 2013 and that was and seamus was very impressive i mean he had the royal rumble win and several title reigns and one really long title reign and a lot of really good matches Uh, He kind of seemed like he was potentially going to become the European version of John Cena. uh, And then that just never happened. So I really, I would have expected him to be a lot higher uh, on the list instead of the movement that we've seen with him since the first edition was released being as it has. I think I would have expected it to go the other way where instead of him progressively moving down because of being able to reflect back and do some hindsight reevaluation, I would have expected him to move up. So that's that's certainly a good choice as well. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think if there's someone from the 90s that would have been pegged as, oh, okay, that guy's going to be a huge star. I feel like Scott and, Steiner. Yeah, Scott Steiner, it would possibly be one. He just went certainly. solo too late. Yeah, I think so. I think had he had, had he gone solo a little bit earlier in his career, then he would have potentially maxed out his his potent- I think going to WWE right after the, um, the the buyout would have helped him as well. I think he was at his peak. He was doing some great work yep. when WCW was going out of business. So that that's another good one. Um, you know, that, that's a great question. That's one I would love to to sit down and think about uh, at length and then and then get back to him. So hi Tesh, if you're listening to this, then you know. Reach out to me again. Let me think on that one a little bit more. But that's an awesome question. But Randy Orton is the one that really stands out to me the most. All right. Um, one one of the big things that uh, I enjoyed about uh, the book is the references to, you know, actual sports. Like, for example, in the Roman Reigns chapter, uh, you had a great point about, 
uh, in baseball, there is a statistic called WAR, which stands for wins above a replacement player, which means um, if we were to take off someone like a David Ortiz or uh, or like an A-Rod, if we were to take them off, you know, the field in their prime and replace them with an average, you know, player, you know, essentially a replacement player, you know, how good would the team still be? And there's a number that it breaks down to. And wins above Baron Corbin had to just be the funniest thing I ever I ever saw written in the book uh, when it came to uh, him with Roman Reigns. Uh, and also, uh, the way that you compared uh, certain NBA players to athletes, which, which I found very interesting. And there, and there were some guys I would have loved to have, know, have seen a comparison for. Like I would have loved to know who the who the Shaquille O'Neal of, of professional wrestling was. Is it really just the Big Show? Like, <laughs> or is it you know uh, who's the Kobe Bryant of wrestling or who's the Larry Bird of wrestling? Like, have you thought of any of those? Oh my God! You know, I, I would uh, I would that's another that's another one that would make a great podcast right there. <laughs> uh, I haven't. I think one guy that comes to mind when you talk about Shaq, you're talking about somebody who who reached great heights, but who you thought could have reached, who, who thought you could have reached a little bit higher. So that's actually, Shaq is a great parallel to the question that Hitesh asked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Randy Orton again comes to mind, someone who has obviously done a lot and has a great peak, but uh, for whatever reason never really got, maybe actually maybe Randy Orton's a better, uh, maybe he's a better Kobe Bryant. Every tool you could ever imagine and for uh, you know, for some reason or another, mostly revolving around maturity, it just never all seemed to uh, come together for the for the for the right amount of time for it to to all click. So that that's another great question. I'd, I'd honestly, man, I'd have to give that one some thought. Yeah. that's an awesome question. <laughs> but I wouldn't even I wouldn't even want to try to to go down the Larry Bird route, right. to be honest, right. uh, Who, because like, of, because of that, yep. you know, I want to, I want to do that one justice. Yep. Yep. Like, uh, I thought a, a couple other ones, uh, I found the Shawn Michaels, uh, Jordan parallels very, you know, people have talked about that. You know, I've seen it, but I've never seen it as broken down as well. I actually, the first like wrestling column I wrote online that ever got any type of attention was I had, uh, and I know you're a hip hop fan, so this, you'll probably appreciate this. I'll probably have to send it to you. Uh, is why triple H is exactly like Jay Z. Like he's the Jay Z <laughs> of wrestling. Like, and it was just in the amount of weird parallels there were. If I can I like find that, it, if I can find it really quick, I'll I'll just like nitpick some of the points I wrote it like three years ago. Yeah, um, you go back to that original question you asked me when we started about what was one of the one of your favorite chapters to write. Uh, I, let me tie that back into this one. I loved writing Tully Blanchard's chapter, mm-hmm. and I liked comparison. I loved the comparison between him. And when I first sat down and I studied the entire body of work, the, one of the first names that came to mind was James Worthy mm-hmm. and uh, you know, the, the Showtime Lakers to the four horsemen and, and, and Tully Blanchard to James Worthy. I thought that I loved that. Uh, that, that was a lot of fun to put those parallels together. Cause that's the way, honestly, I, I think in analogies about everything. Right. So uh, to me that, that helps to historically contextualize a lot of these guys. Um, so yeah, but the HBK Jordan one, that's, that's, 
Uh, that's, that's probably a crown as jewel. obvious. <laughs> yeah, that's probably as obvious as as anyone we could ever imagine, given what HBK did on the biggest stage with consistency. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's that's Jordan to a T. Yep. Now, as far as uh, I, on this Triple H and Jay Z thing, like people might think I'm crazy, but I don't. Yeah, you know, it, it's like humble beginnings, pretty much. Uh, like Triple H was, you know, to Shawn Michaels as Jay Z was to Biggie. In this sense, Shawn Michaels would have been Biggie, and all of a sudden, you know, he wasn't around anymore. It was a short-lived super group group that was broken up due to extenuating circumstances. Um, DX. And, you know, they had a short-form supergroup called The Commission, but it never really got off the ground, you know, because of Big's untimely death and Shawn Michaels' back injury. Um, Then the rise uh, of them. Like, no one believed that Triple H could continue DX without Shawn Michaels, I feel like. Um, With Nas out of the picture, meaning Bret Hart, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, you know he's in WCW, and you know to correlate with that, that with Nas dropping you know questionable albums at the time, few thought Triple H, aka Jay Z, would take over you know the New York rap scene. You know um, after being awesome. after being rebuffed by every major label, Jay Z created Rockefeller Records with you know a couple of his close buddies, Dame Dash and you know Kareem Biggs Burke, which equals the new DX. That he, he made with Road Dog and uh, X Pac and Billy Gunn, and then within both of those groups' structure, they were they were each able to show their own talents and use it to launch themselves to a higher platform, and also just for more you know ridiculous uh, parallels. China was the equivalent of a mill once. Uh, there was there was a rapper named Emil on there. It was a female rapper, but by the time the, that they got to the next level, she was out of the picture, pretty much like China was. Uh, the run of dominance. Uh, Jay Z became a hip hop legend, like doing his most memorable work around the year two thousand through like two thousand three. It's equal to being to Triple H's main event run from January two thousand until the time he tore his quad up. Um, each of them dismantled their respective groups the same way. Uh, Jay-Z sold his shares and retired and became an executive and Triple H turning heel on his friends for greater opportunities and marrying into the McMahon family. It, brought, it was questionable by both sects of fans at the time, but in retrospect, it's the best decision that they ever made. Uh, putting awesome. Yeah, this is crazy. <laughs> uh, put, you know, it, it, goes, it goes from there, from you know, their groups. Rockefeller and Evolution uh, to setbacks, you know, the injuries and then the retirements and then also being, you know, the executive and showing late career excellence and being a caretaker of the genre. It just, you know, goes that further away. So I can really appreciate how you um, basically tied these NBA players together with uh, the polarizing Roman Reigns and the polarizing LeBron James. Like, I I, I just loved it. Um, And... Finally, with the with the last part of the the book, I want to discuss with you uh, was the part that uh, James and I helped create, which was the wine cellar chapter. Uh, how did, I know how I just want you to talk about to everyone how you kind of came up with this uh, chapter, and you know what do you feel how like how was it putting it together um, in your opinion? Well, to to be honest with you, I reached a point where I, you know, I always go back and read what I write eventually. Mm-hmm. And with this book being so long, I don't get the opportunity to do that a lot. 
but about every WrestleMania season, I went, I would go back and I would read it again. And two straight WrestleMania seasons, I felt like I left something on the table mm-hmm. with the WrestleMania era, and I didn't want to feel that way. I wanted to, to write a, an edition that if I never wrote another edition, and, that's, and I, I plan to, but if I never wrote another edition, I would be happy with that as the end product. And I was reading the book of basketball again, Bill mm-hmm. Simmons' book of basketball, and... After I read his section that basically tackled the same topic about who's the best, what's the best version of each of these wrestlers, then I looked at that and thought, that would make a great addition to the book. Mm-hmm. That, that would make a really interesting way uh, to end the book. Because the book just kind of ended before. I mean, it, would, it got to the last guy in the book, and then it was over. Yeah. Um, you do the acknowledgments, you do the statistical charts, and that's that. And I, I felt like it needed kind of a, a bit more of an outro that right. fit the theme of the book. And I thought that perfectly fit the theme of the book. We're talking about for 590-some-odd pages, the greatest of all time. And then that's an interesting final thought for that discussion is, okay, well, so these are the top 90 ever. Now, which of the which of the... Which vintage, if you will, using the wine cellar analogy, which vintage of each wrestler was the best? So, you know, knowing that you and James were such big fans of the book of basketball, we were right in the midst of the uh, of the NBA playoffs, and that was a last-minute addition to the book. It was just kind of something I threw in there, and there were a couple of discussions about it, and then I came to you guys and the original idea was for it to be a podcast, but the more we started talking about it and the more we got into it, and we had some great conversations yeah. about it earlier which, in the which year. Which unfortunately are lost to the annals of time, but I, I feel like we can go back and probably get something out of it. Yeah, and it's, it's a shame that, I mean, I didn't record any of those. They were Skype conversations between the three of us, and they just ended up getting me to a point where I felt like, okay, this would actually make an awesome last part of the book. Um and, and that's basically when I came to them and I said, you know what, guys, I know we were planning on doing this this big podcast together about this, but I actually want to make this a part of my book. Right. Uh, you know, I'm doing the third edition and that's and that was how it came to be. But then, you know, we got about as far as choosing which guys belonged. And then we ha- we got as far as putting together what the card would be. Mm-hmm. And then it just became fun because I always used to love <laughs> doing fantasy booking and I've I've gotten away from it. Uh, in years past because I just got tired of like trying to think of uh, it was hard for me to separate what I wanted to happen um, from what I was fantasy booking to happen like I would get if, if that didn't end up happening on WWE TV I got uh, I got a little hot under the collar I was like they should have done that and I wanted to get away from that and right. get more to just uh, I'm going to appreciate what they do and not what I wish they would do type of mindset but it was a lot of fun to to, to go back in and, and, and just basically say with this concept of taking not just the greatest of all time uh, the greatest versions of each wrestler but the wine cellar chapter it basically asks the, the the hypothetical question if aliens were were going to take over the world and the only way that they weren't going to take over the world is if we sat them down for a four-hour wrestling show and blew them away to show them the creative potential of the human race. What would we book and who would we use? 
And it's a silly question, but it was it was it was so much fun to discuss. And the nice thing about it is we had the advantage of time travel. Yep. So we were able to go back and and get, uh, you know, and get 1991 Jake Roberts, who you know doing his heel thing. We were able to go back in time and bring them to the future for this card, and and try to save the world with the greatest wrestling card ever. So um, it was a lot of fun to write what that card would look like once we actually booked it. I went through and I did the whole thing from the, the entrances yep. to how much time. Very enjoyable. The reaction <laughs> of the alien leaders who were sitting in attendance. Um, so it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, you know, going back to the chapters question, which one was most fun to write again? I, that one was definitely right up there. And I just want to mention, like, the folks like uh, that are going to be, check the book out. It's not just, hey... We took the the top twenty guys from the book. There's guys like Owen Hart is is on our card, and he was number fifty one on your on your book. So it's like there are certain roles for each guy, and you know the way it's all structured, it all makes so much sense. It down to the commentary team, you know, <laughs> it's like you, you it was gotta, meticulous. Yep, the venue and the fans and. Uh, and the and the card order. I mean, all of that stuff we combed over it. The three of us. The only thing I did without their help was write that was was actually write how the card and was, the finishes. Uh, was was scripted and 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 who won. That was it. I, I played Vince McMahon again there. Yeah, I, I was a little that, sad. I was a little sad with with, with at least one of them, but. <laughs> <laughs> You Which know, one was that? Let's, uh, let's spoil that. Uh, give, tr- give an example. Tr- Triple H and Daniel Bryan. I, I was just, I was just furious. I had to watch 2000 Triple H uh, beat uh, Daniel Bryan from 2014. That just hurt. That, you know, that was another thing I had to take into account. Is we had to get a good balance, and we had to try to to create an emotional peak, get the alien leaders thinking, "Oh man, I really wanted that underdog guy to win," and then hit them with it at the very end with that cathartic final couple of moments. So uh, there were a lot of care went into that. One of my favorite compliments I ever got about the book uh, was from someone who commented on how much care I took with each chapter and each wrestler involved. And that, uh, that extended to the wine cellar chapters taking very, very uh, taking a lot of care with how that was written. Um, and, uh, and and how the card ended up going down. So that was a blast to write. And again, appreciate you guys collaborating with me on that. We 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 were definitely excited to be there, and hope everyone enjoys this. Uh, Chad, uh, let everyone know where they can find the book and how they can purchase it. Well, basically, you can find it anywhere online, all over the world. I mean, it's 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 one of those um, it's one of those books that built for the modern era you can't miss it it's everywhere it's on every major uh it's on every major online retailing site uh you know amazon's probably the easiest one to access if you go to lordsofpain.net then right there at the bottom left hand of your screen you will see a place where you can directly link to the third edition uh so for ease of access you can just go to lordsofpain.net and click on that little icon and it'll take you right to the newest edition and it's both of its formats both the e-version and also the um and then also the print edition if you want to have the hard copy in your hands so um you know that's the that's the easy i mean anyone i mean i've got people that have read it literally from from all over the world so it's uh 
you know, you can have it translated into other languages and all that. And I'll eventually I'm working on an audio version um, of the book. And eventually we'll also do a large print edition for people that have some visual impairments. That's great. That's great because, like, I feel like if you're a wrestling fan, this is the great American book of wrestling. Like, and I, I wanted to save that title for, for you know, something I may work on one day. But this is the great American book of wrestling. Like, it needed to be written, and Chad was the guy to do it. And uh, I, I just want to, you know, commend you for, uh, for taking that, you know, updating this every year you know i don't know how long it's going to keep going on you know i'm sure it's a arduous task to complete each year but uh just from having the third each edition of the book uh and seeing how how much it's growing i just want to know where does it go from here well thank you for the kind words first and foremost um you know honestly it's the type of thing that um and and i wish bill simmons would do this with his book because these discussions are, are always evolving and, and wrestling probably moves faster with some of its historical milestones than any other uh, major sport entity, quote unquote, obviously it's sports entertainment. But mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to, to taking these kinds of rankings and, um, and expanding upon them and, and re-ranking, then I think I almost think it has to be done about every two years, and that's really been the track thus far. It's been about every two years is when the statistical data points stop, and I would imagine that probably it'll be WrestleMania 34 before I sit down and and really start crunching the numbers again. And a lot of that's really dependent upon what this new era involves, um, <laughs> what guys like Ambrose, Reigns, Rollins, Wyatt, etc., what they end up doing. Um, and then eventually we're going to have to really make some tough decisions with it, yeah. um, especially with the back end of the list where you have guys like Dean Malenko and, and like Raven and, just and like on. the Rock and Roll Express. They're just holding on, and mm-hmm. you know it's so hard to imagine cutting anyone from that list. And, and I think a lot of those decisions are going to be made easier by allowing a little bit more breathing room for what happens mm-hmm. from addition to addition. I think that's one of those things I have in mind is, um, you know, writing these additions with a bit more longevity in mind, allowing them to maybe carry the WrestleMania era brand of the book a little further without having to update it. I had one of the other things that made me update it was someone posted a very nice review, but one of the comments they made is it needs an update. And that was like, that was like seven months ago, and at the time, I mean, geez, the, the, the edition prior to that had been released like a year prior. It's like, geez, but that just gives you an example of how fast the it's wrestling moving. world moves. Yep. So uh, the other thing about it is there's going to be, I think, one of the other things that's kind of cool about it is each one of these categories really warrants its own more in-depth discussion. And I've already done one spinoff, The Greatest Champions, of the WrestleMania era, which could easily be updated every year itself. So, I mean, there's a lot of potential with this series to just keep going with it and expanding on it. Uh, The next one I'd like to write is about drawing power. Mm -hmm. I think that one's one of the harder ones to to statistically digest for a lot of people because there's so many things to take into account. And no one ever really does that. So I would like to do that myself as well and sit down and kind of put together who's the greatest draw, who's the greatest champion, who's the greatest performer, and on down the line. And then uh, the other big project 
is the next book I'm working on, which is if uh, if the first book, if the WrestleMania era, the book of sports entertainment is designed to answer the first of the two great questions in wrestling historically, which is who's the greatest of all time, uh-huh. then the other question is what's the greatest match of all time? Right. What's the greatest story and rivalry of all time? And that's the that's the other book. That's the one I'm working on right now. And I promise you that's my masterpiece. That's that's going to be That's it. The, uh, this is just the warm-up. You heard yeah, it here first, so the, everybody. Yeah, so that's that's the one to look out for. And, it's, and I am taking... Uh, I always felt compelled, and I actually I, I turned down one opportunity to work with a bigger publisher um, for the WrestleMania era. In originally, because I, I was adamant it had to be out by WrestleMania 30. It just had to be. Mm-hmm. That was why it was written. It was written as a tribute, and it, it was the 30 30 years that number. I just I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't distance myself from that being the time it was released i couldn't think of a more appropriate time for it to come out so um this this next book though i mean i'm going to really 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 i mean i don't i have no clue when it's going to come out the next one so it's gonna i'm gonna take um extra 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 care with that one yeah man i guess i'll have to consult you on my on my uh book i kind of want to do something where you know I uh, read something called, like, the rap book, and they profiled, like, the single biggest rap song of the year from, like, you know, the the beginning of rap to, like, 2014. If you were to just, it was, like, the MVP of each year of wrestling, like, from 1985 to 2015 or 2016 at this moment. So, I, I, I definitely know who to go to for a resource, so. <laughs> Happy to do it. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to let you get up out of here, but yeah, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. I just want more people to check out uh, this book and, you know, our contribution here from One Nation Radio in it, and also just the the amount of high-level wrestling discussion. Uh, You definitely will will enjoy it, and it is money well spent. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And anybody who reads the book, feel free to reach out. Part of the Part of the fun thing about writing a book like this is the discussion that follows it. So uh, always happy to do that. I've got a lot of outlets that you can reach me at on social media, Twitter at the doc LOP. You can email me at cmdoclop at gmail.com. You can respond to my columns on lordsofpain.net. Got all kinds of different avenues for you to reach out and dive into that WrestleMania era greatest ever discussion. Cool, man. Uh, you heard it first. Uh, this is One Nation Radio with Rich for James, who's not here. Uh, but we send our regards, and that's gonna knock it out. Like, comment, share, subscribe, and tell a friend. Tell a friend. This is Rich. Peace. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn five dollars into one hundred and fifty dollars instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code Champion One Hundred and Fifty. Then place a five dollar wager on any sport. You'll receive one hundred and fifty dollars in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at bet mgm 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 